All right, we've got another great interview for you guys today. Senator Elizabeth Warren joins us in the studio. Thank How are you doing, Senator Warren? You know, I'm doing great. I'm delighted to be here. Yes, I hear you're running for president. It, true. Okay, <laughs> I asked the hard-hitting questions. Um, okay, so there's a lot to get to. I yeah. had not planned on this, but the New York Times just released an amazing story uh, about <laughs> Donald Trump and his uh, apparent interference in uh, yep. several investigations. Mueller's and the Southern District of New York. Yep. And the Southern District of New York might be even more damaging to him. Yep. That is the hush payments and a felony that Michael Cohen, his attorney, has already agreed yep. to and pled to. If the story turns out to be true and Whitaker, the acting attorney general, got a call from Trump saying, put in a loyalist to head up that investigation. Is that an impeachable offense? Well, it sure looks like it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck. Here's the deal though, and I always wanna be very careful about this. We gotta get all of this together, all of the data, everything that's happened in Washington, everything that's happened with the Justice Department, everything that happened during the campaign, everything that's happened now in the Southern District, and get the report from Mueller Get it out there, get it out to the public, and then you got the whole pile in front of you, and then it's timed it. So it's a huge story and it's got many different components, but one yeah. other one that really jumped out at me was uh, Trump uh, talking to, or Trump's people, lawyers talking to Manafort and Flynn's lawyers about a possible pardon. Right. That appears to be obstruction of justice 101. And so if we have that and we have the hush money payments, which is also illegal, yep. and we've got now him trying to interfere in the Southern District investigation. I understand that you wanna wait for Mueller's report, yep. and I totally understand the logic of that. But isn't there already enough things that are public that if confirmed, if verified in an investigation, would be enough to impeach a president? So look, you keep correctly underlining, if confirmed, they all have to be confirmed. But my view on this is, let's get Mueller stuff in there too. Mm -hmm. uh, this has been an ongoing investigation. It's a serious investigation. It's already produced, what is it? Nearly three dozen either indictments or guilty pleas. I mean, that's a, yes. that's a pretty amazing investigation already. And make a report to the American people. I think that's gonna be absolutely critical. I think we need all of it out there. Because I think all of our fellow citizens need to see that. I think that needs to be a part of the whole decision-making process. And you know, at least what we're hearing, and I have no special knowledge of this, but is that we're very close to having that. So, you know, I think it all ought to be out there to see. Yep. Okay. So now let's move to policy a little bit. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> so that's that's our specialty. So um, recently, you were asked about Medicare for all, uh -huh. and. Uh, and you said, quote, there are many ways to get there. Yep. And so that's a really important question. And I wonder if that's really true, and hence I wanna ask you about it. When you say Medicare for all, do you mean, for example, the bill that you've co-signed onto in the Senate? Or do you think it could also mean Medicare buy-in, et cetera? So I support Medicare for all, I have for a very long time. Uh, and I believe that there are lots of ways to get there. I've um, so, for example, uh, uh, even in the bill that uh, I've co-sponsored with Bernie and others, 
It's got a four-year period in it. It's got different ways that ramp in. It's got some groups that never get into it. For example, uh, veterans will always have uh, a separate healthcare system. It, there are a lot of different ways that people talk about and have introduced into Congress. Some are, some are actual bills, some have just talked about it. Uh, we could start lowering the age. So you could do it rather than just saying uh, uh, how it is we're gonna build the ramp. You could build the ramp by saying 60 years old is the age for Medicare, 55, 50. Mm -hmm. Or you could do it the other way. Everybody under 30 is covered, then everybody under 35, then everybody under 40. Different ways to move into the system. But there is one thing I would really like to underline here. First is the principle, and that is where we're aiming as Democrats, and that is that every single human being in this country is covered by healthcare at a price they can afford, that healthcare is a basic human right, and we are fighting for basic human rights. And I would like to contrast that with the Republican Party that's not having this conversation about the best ways to get there, but instead is still out there actively working to try to take away healthcare from tens of millions of Americans. So there are a lot of times I'm proud to be a Democrat, but when we're talking about healthcare, this is one of the biggest distinctions and something that would directly touch the lives of pretty much everybody in this country. And I like where the Democrats are on this. So let's talk about the Democrats and, sure. and the range of possibilities. So uh, Sherrod Brandt came out yesterday mm -hmm. and said he is not for Medicare for all mm -hmm. right now. He's for uh, the one one of the options that you mentioned, which is people who above uh, the age of 55 can buy into Medicare, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, and other senators you know have proposed just a buy-in and basically right. a public option. Right. Uh, Senator Sanders came on the show and said, those are all fine, but they're not Medicare for all. And so he thinks that the right way to go is to go for the Medicare for all package right now. So in that spectrum, where do you put yourself and what, what well, do you, out of all those different options, which one do you prioritize? Remember though, even Senator Sanders option, the option on the table is it's not right now. It's a four year option mm -hmm. and it's got layers as it goes into it. So everybody's talking about timing and how to get into it. And by the way, I just wanna do one more piece as long as we're talking about this. I've put a bill that Senator Sanders co-sponsored out on the table that says if you wanna offer private insurance, it's gotta at least have the same kind of coverage and benefits that Medicare has. The, the advantage to doing this is we keep drawing these closer and closer together. So um, whether we're talking about coming from the bottom up, everybody under 30 is covered by Medicare, and then a year from now, everybody under 40, and then a year from now, everybody under 50. If that's the way that we wanna angle in. But at the end of the day, I know what the center is. And the center is that we have high quality access for every single person. Keep in mind, for me, I, I was in this fight long before I ever got into politics and long before the Affordable Care Act came along. I did the original work on the term that my co-authors and I coined called medical bankruptcy. And we were out there studying families going broke uh, over medical bills and studying families going broke over medical bills who already had insurance. But insurance that 
had caps on it, insurance that collapsed when people got sick, insurance that people lost when they got sick and lost their jobs, every part of this. And so for me, the, the importance of the fight is up close, personal, I see it, I get it. I wanna make sure we get to the right place and that is full coverage for everybody at a price they can afford. So, so let's talk more policy. Sure. Uh, if you're um, elected president and it's you know, 100 first 100 days, first day, uh-huh. you know, that, that kind of cliched uh, that you know, way of framing it that people talk about. Uh, but there's a reason for the cliche because sure. people wanna know what your priorities are, right. right? So for example, for President Obama, it was the Affordable Care Act. Right. That's what he prioritized right. and his belief was, uh, that you gotta do things one thing at a time. You won't have enough political capital to do several different things at once. To be fair to him, he did a, you know, a, a little bit uh, of spending obviously to improve the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he did the Affordable Care Act. First, what's your sense of uh, can we do several different things at once? Or do we have to take it one step at a time? And so that's not to say, hey, you know, uh, I know <laughs> you gotta announce them all on the first day, right? But can you do the Green New Deal, Medicare for all, uh, public financing, whatever other your priorities you have, all within the first two years, first year, et cetera? So the answer is absolutely yes, but you gotta have a strategy. Mm-hmm. And here's my two part strategy. One part is what we're doing right now in the primaries. We talk, I talk about the things I care about and what they look like. Try to get them out there, try to get them out there in enough detail that they can be vetted so that not just that you win on them, but you've built the political movement behind them. Mm-hmm. So you're not starting out on day one in a new administration, turning around saying, okay, I wanna to explain to everybody what universal childcare is. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. It's that people have been talking about it for a year by that point. And they say, I'm all in, I'm there. That helps keep both our party in the right position and gives us a great place to push back against the opponents. So that's part of it, the work we're doing right now. But the other part of it, in my view, we gotta attack head on the corruption in Washington. Think of all the things that we want as a country, that we want to see seriously, uh, universal childcare, reduce the student loan debt burden, raise the minimum wage, uh, uh, protect healthcare for every single American. These core economic pieces plus, Uh, how much support there is now for a Green New Deal, how much support there is for better gun safety. Why don't those things happen? Because Washington isn't working for the American people. Washington's working for this really thin slice at the top. So I think the place we start is we gotta come in and punch right back at the influence of money in politics. And the way to do that, I've got this giant, anti-corruption bill, biggest since Watergate. It's a giant bill because we have a giant problem, but it does things like ends lobbying as we know it. Uh, Blocks the revolving door between Wall Street and Main Street. Tells uh, congressmen they're not gonna be able to get jobs out there in the industry lobbying for it after they leave. The things that change the dynamics and just kind of knock back the billionaire class on its heels. We do that and now we've got the chance to come in and do the things we wanna do on healthcare, on childcare, on making sure that we deal with student loan debt burdens. So, so I see this as, 
It's right from a policy point of view, but it's also strategically the right way to get this done. All right, so we gotta take a quick break here. When okay. we come back, uh, we'll talk more about those priorities and how you're gonna take on Donald Trump. Okay. Okay, so we'll be right back. All right, we're back with uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, presidential candidate, uh, joining us here at the Young Turk Studio. Uh, so where we la last left off was your uh, priority list yes. uh, for uh, when you're in office. Right. And so uh, you uh, said you're gonna prioritize getting money out of politics first and the corruption and et cetera. Right. And which partly explains why the lobbyists are no fan of yours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so let me think of the list now. Uh, so the lobbyists are no fan. Uh, Wall Street, uh, definitely no fan. Uh, the oil industry and the whole petroleum-based uh, industry, definitely no fan. Shall we keep going on this? Yeah, list? well, that's a good enemies list to have. There we go. <laughs> yeah. You know, though, but it really is this fundamental question. This is the part I keep going back to: is why is it that government works? for this thin slice at the top and isn't working for anyone else. Washington is this is this bubble of people who just hear, and it's, it's not just campaign contributions, although that's huge, but it's this, it's the lobbyists, it's the bought and paid for experts, it's the think tanks that are all paid for to have predetermined points of view, it's PR firms that just flood the town. So that over and over and over, not just when we're debating some huge bill uh, or when a gun issue is about to come up, but every single day they're there. They're knocking on the doors, they're doing hearings, they're inviting people over for conferences. And it's not just Congress. They're doing it in the congressional, age, I mean, in the agencies, in the... It, all the way throughout government, every time a decision is being made somewhere in our government, there's likely to be somebody with money and power in there to say, couldn't you just maybe change that those six words right there just to help my client a little bit? Let me tell you the point of view of our industry about that particular thing. And then you, you end up with a system that's entirely tilted. So I think that makes sense to everybody in our audience and almost everybody in America. The polling indicates that over 90% agree with you. Mm -hmm. That unfortunately, a lot of the politicians are more responsive to their donors yep. than their voters. But Did that, you watch that during the, the tax, uh, when the Republicans were passing their tax bill? A couple of them just came out and said it. Why were they passing a tax giveaway to millionaires and billionaires? Because they were hearing from their donors who said, if you don't get that thing passed, don't come back and ask me for more money. They literally said it out loud. Yeah, it was said amazing. it out loud. So it was a now stunner. the Republican Party is easy to beat up on uh, uh -huh. on that because their their uh, whole point of existence seems to be to give money to uh, the billionaires and multinational corporations and their donors, whoever their donors yep. happen to be. But let's be honest about the Democratic Party. Yep. That also definitely happens within the Democratic yep. Party. I think less so than the Republican Party, but unfortunately, it's far too pervasive. Now, but the problem, one of the issues is in Washington, there's this idea about you gotta get along with other Democrats and you're mm -hmm. all on the same team and don't challenge your colleagues, etc. Now, you're in a primary where by definition, <laughs> you guys are running against each other and that's life mm -hmm. and that's politics and that's democracy. Mm -hmm. But if you win, 
what is your plan for challenging the Democratic Party when they come to you? Because they will, and they'll say, but President Warren, I, I gotta get these donations, and you're being unfair, and we can't win. We don't wanna do unilateral disarmament against the Republicans if we don't take this money. So you gotta let me do this, and, and it's because I gotta win in this purple district, I gotta win in this red district, etc. You know what the argument is. Oh, I know exactly what the argument is, and look, I've obviously been willing to call out my Democratic colleagues on more than one occasion. But that's the whole point now about democracy. I think that's the real question on the table. At the same moment that the very foundations of democracy are, are starting to shake, and it's all kinds of things. It's about voting, it's about an independent judiciary, it's about a free press, and it's about the influence of money, 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 money on the people who make decisions in Congress and in the White House. We have to change democracy, and that's what I think is happening. We're reinventing democracy, and we're doing it at the grassroots level. Think of all the changes just over the last couple of years. You know, I went to the inauguration. I, I come from a background, I, you gotta show up at these tough things. And I was maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 feet from Donald Trump when he was sworn in. It is burned into my eyeballs. And that is actually a good thing. If I ever feel like, you know, okay, this is getting tough, I can close my eyes, I can see Donald Trump being sworn in, and I'm back in the fight, right? I'm ready to go. <laughs> but, but I remember that night thinking, They've got the House, they've got the Senate, they've got the White House. They could actually repeal health care for tens of millions of Americans by next Friday. And, and we didn't have the votes to stop them. So what are we gonna do? And the next morning, there I am at the biggest protest rally in the history of the world. A protest rally that didn't just happen in Washington, D.C., didn't just happen in Los Angeles and Boston. It happened in little towns all across this country. And a lot of folks said, oh yeah, okay. The women are all stirred up right now and the friends of women who showed up to this rally, but will they still be there next month? And the answer was, yeah. Will they still be there in six months? And the answer was even more. Will they still be there in a year? And the answer is more so. And all of that, what we're seeing is democracy is rewiring. So I'll tell you exactly what I would say to my Democratic Senate and House friends. Look, guys, the way we run and the way we win is the way we govern. And that is on principles, on the basic principle that we are not here to serve the rich and the powerful, we are here to serve the people. We ran on universal child care, we're gonna do it. We ran on a government that works for the people and that means we're gonna get net neutrality back instead of caving in to the big money on this. We ran on a Green New Deal and that means we're gonna deliver, and I think it's that we have to retrain our own party, our own elected leaders to stay focused on what it is that people want and to deliver on those promises. These days of being able to deliver for the rich and the powerful and think nobody's gonna notice, they're gone, they're gone. And now that means 
in this election, as it comes up in 2020, I see it as, man, we are, we are barreling toward the crossroads. Are we going to be a country that just keeps working for the rich and the powerful and plays the politics of hate in order to stay in power? Or are we going to be a country where people, where, where Congress, where, where the administration, where the people in government actually put the interests of the people first and just say no to the, to the billionaires and the giant corporations. So let's talk about how you're gonna get there. Okay, uh, I'm ready. <laughs> so, uh, so Donald Trump, uh, yep. his strategy against you is obvious. Yeah. Uh, he's decided that he's gonna stay on the racist path. Yep. And there's a story out today about how he's thinking of coming up with other nicknames for other candidates. So I guess you're in a privileged position. You got one of the first nicknames out there. Oh, years ago now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And uh, so maybe he th- considers you more of a threat, and he usually does with women. Yes. Uh, and and so is it, well, you're working on policy. The, all the things we just talked about, he's working on nicknames. Right. But so how are you going to take him on? So I I think that's a great question, and it's a question that our whole country faces right now. Donald Trump is running an old playbook. Come on, this has been going on, the politics of division, right? Turn working people against working people so that nobody notices the rich people are picking your pocket. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. just the basics. Mm -hmm. So that's the game he's gonna continue to try to play. And I think what we have to do on our side is first we call it out, but then we really do turn to the substance. We stop giving it so much airtime. We just turn to the substance. We call out racism, we call out hatred wherever it exists. We say we're not gonna be part of it. Why, Why, for example, on immigration, we're not gonna build a wall that is a monument to hate and division. That's, that's what that's really about. That's not about border security. The, the security issue that he's raising, this emergency at the border is fake. The whole point of that wall is to get his folks stirred up around the notion of hate. We call it out, we say no, we fight it, but we also make the case for everything we stand for. And that's how I believe we not only get more people who are already on our side saying, wait, this election matters to me. I care about this. I care about universal child care. I care about reducing student loans. I care about beating the corruption out of Washington. That's enough to get me engaged. It's also a chance to pull back some of those folks who voted for Trump to say, oh, wait a minute. You guys have an idea for things that could help make my life a little better. And the answer is, yeah, Um, a housing bill, 3.2 million new housing units. People are struggling with the increased cost of housing all around this country, urban, rural. Um, I've got a bill that would produce 3.2 million new units of housing. Independent analysis says reduce rents by about 10%, produce about one and a half million new jobs uh, right at its peak. That's the kind of thing you go out and talk to folks who are struggling with the price of housing, not just on the coasts, but who are struggling with it in Iowa, struggling with it in the Midwest. That's the kind of stuff where people, people start to listen. So. I think we get the door open a crack, and then we get it open a bigger crack and a bigger crack if we talk about the things that touch families every single day. 
All right, one last question sure. for you. Um, what are the qualifications and attributes you look for in a vice president? Oh, what an interesting question. Um, I think the principal one is somebody who shares your values. Somebody who will be a great partner in making it happen. You know, the way I see this is we can't just run. This can't just be about winning in 2020 and replacing a terrible president. It's really gotta be about winning and making change. And that's gonna be hard. I, I understand that, I'm, I'm not naive. Look, people told me when I wanted the consumer agency, you can't get that. Mm. It's too hard, just give up before you start. And the big banks spent more than a million dollars a day lobbying against it. Tim Geithner was ready to throw it under the bus. Uh, the other economic advisors, you know. <laughs> but, but President Obama stood firm by that agency. We got it passed into law. And now um, we forced the big banks to return more than $12 billion directly to people they cheated. And how much cheating didn't happen because there was actually a cop on the beat. I think of it that way. I think in history of all the people who've been told it's just too hard. The abolitionists were told it's too hard. The suffragettes were told it's too hard. The early labor organizers were told it's too hard. The early civil rights workers were told it's too hard. The early gay rights activists, equal marriage, just too hard. But all of them, they got organized, they persisted, and they changed the direction of history in this country. That's our opportunity in 2020. All right, Senator Elizabeth Warren, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. It's really so appreciate good to see it. You.